Greetings, citizen. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. For more of the art of wargaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds, but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. You're listening to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Firm Network. combat in general. Welcome to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am your host, Yagamalark, and I appreciate every single one of you that waited for this episode to finally come out. Uh, this is entirely my fault. Please don't blame the editor or the other producers. Uh, like I said, the summer sometimes gets away with me. There's always a lot going on, and especially after the last two years we've had, it, uh, it's easy to kind of get overwhelmed. Not, not that that's a bad thing. I'm not complaining about time spent with friends and loved ones. Uh, it's, these are truly the treasures of life. So I hope that you're also getting out there and, and uh, engaging with some folks in this, what might be a lull <laughs> in, uh, in the insanity. Um, at least for those of us away from Eastern Europe. Of course, the war in the Ukraine continues to rage and in Yemen... Uh, there's military actions being spoken of now in uh, Syria, of course, and, and all over the place. So um, our study never ends, unfortunately. Uh, again, I know I study war for a living, but I would also be just as fine uh, never having any new material, you know, for us to never pick a fight <laughs> uh, with our neighbors ever again. That would be nice. I'm sure many of us would like that. But thankfully, this show isn't about actual war, for the most part, it is about War gaming, where people get back up and you and your friends go out and have a pint afterwards. So, let's talk about war gaming. Uh, because this intro is relatively short. I don't have a, a super amount of hyper-analysis to do. I've been playing Warhammer games. Uh, the, the guys at the League continue to challenge me. Uh, Toto and I continue to have excellent games. TF and I continue to have excellent games. So, uh, those are all fantastic. Having a lot of fun there. And uh, I, I, Toto's going to be on today, and we're going to talk about one of the games we've had recently. And then uh, Bellagarth has been going great, too. We're doing a lot of practices. Everybody's in good moods, showing up with good attitudes and motivated. Even when it was 95 degrees the other day and we're trying to practice. But, of course, we're taking breaks, right? We're taking breaks every 15, 20 minutes to sit down, you know, take a breather, get some water in us. You know, it's it's important, of course. And, and then, of course, between the fights, we're sitting there and we're catching our breath. And then I turned on uh, the Women's Euro Cup and was watching these these gals who were in northern England somewhere, sprinting, of course, back and forth, as you do when you play football. And just, it was 95 degrees there, too. I was sit there and look, they, they said the, the temperature in Celsius, and I was like, huh, I wonder what that is in Fahrenheit. No joke, 95 degrees in a place that is more humid and with way more activity than what we were doing. So... You know, even uh, even on our hard days, these professional athletes, they could give us a run for their money, for sure. I would I would love to see some of these uh, these soccer players or uh, football players come out 
and run rings around us. That's always entertaining. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I said, relatively short uh, this morning. And uh, we're going to go right into our episode, which is the combat in general. In some of the more recent episodes, especially concerning this book, we've been speaking about of a lot of logistical things, a lot of things concerning time, material, people, morale, uh, various forces that contribute to the combat, forces that shape the way that the combat is going to take place, the way that the forces in it are going to act, and thereby the outcome. But now we're starting to get into the actual combat. With this book, we start to move into the actual tactics and strategies that Clausewitz is going to teach us, which I'm very excited about. The, the previous material is there as a foundational. It is there to guide us in our pursuit of what we are getting to now, because with all that other information in our toolbox, we can now access the rest of his ideas in a bit more understanding of a way. I know the first time I read through this book back in high school, I kind of skipped through this first section that we've just gotten through. And partially because it was so boring by comparison to the other ones. I just wanted the flash and the ah, pa-pow. But the, the truth of the matter is to understand the pa-pow, you also have to understand what is happening without it. You have to understand what goes into and sets up that moment because the moment of combat is relatively fast. In terms of the war, you know, combat lasts a few hours, maybe spread out over a couple of days, but in terms of an overall campaign, most of it is spent marching around or camping or trying to find your enemy or trying to fix your enemy. There's a lot of, lot of activity outside of it. But like we've said before, a lot of times history and our study of it seems to focus on the actual combat itself. So now we're actually there. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to look into it. We understand what goes into it, how to prepare ourselves for it. But let's now look at the combat in general. Because combat is the real activity of warfare. Everything else is auxiliary. All the other things we've spoken about, you know, logistics, keeping people's morale up, uh, food, medicine, all of these other things are auxiliary. But the main activity of warfare, the reason we call it warfare and not a camping outing and not a larger field drilling exercise is because of the combat which is singular in its nature when we, we deal with war. So what is the character of the modern battle? When Clausewitz, of course, is talking about this, he's speaking about the character of the modern battle of his time, which is the late 1700s, early 1800s. Most of us are not fighting our war games set in that, uh, in that era. I mean, some people are. As we saw, you know, uh, there were several episodes ago, we had a, a gentleman on who is a part of a wargaming community that I am not. You know, other tabletop war gamers when they kind of sit together different scenarios. Um, and I'm sure that there's somebody who has focused on the French Revolutionary War. It's a fascinating time period. This and the Napoleonic Wars are really, really crucial to the development of warfare in Europe. So I, I would I think it would stand to reason that there would be a fair number of people who are who are doing that. I don't. So for me, the nature of modern battle really equals out to meta. Right. And those of us who are familiar with any sort of super combat oriented or super competitive environment are going to be familiar with this term meta, which really just translates into the way things are done right now. 
You know, what's the most popular way of running a particular army? What is the most uh, effective way of using a weapon combination? These things change. You know, if somebody were to have been a part of the Belagarth career or uh, community 10 years ago, had no contact, and then came back today, they would find the techniques and the technology to have changed drastically. And because of these things, the, the nature of the strategy has also changed. The way these things are done, because they, they influence tactics, right? If I've got a faster sword and a smaller shield that is more nimble, that is going to influence my tactics as opposed to a larger shield and a slower weapon. And those in turn, those tactics, because tactics influence strategy, is going to change the way that strategy is done. You know, if we were looking at a way to strategize, let's say we're in the actual war, right? Let's say we were over in the Ukraine and you and I were given command of Zelensky's army. We would not command it like we would an army in the late 1700s. Like even on its best day, we would not regulate it the same way. We would not use it the same way because the meta has changed. The use of military has become more spread out and more focused on, on different things than they were at this particular time frame. Sure, sure, combat kind of stays the same, right? We're looking to overcome our opponent to politically bend them to our will and achieve the desirable outcome. In wargaming, that's victory. In war, it's also victory. But what that looks like depends on whoever's fighting. But what we do know is that as the nature of this war changes, so too does tactics and so too does strategy. And again, this is meta. And that's one of the reasons I like having Toto on the show is because he is a meta chaser <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so he is very amusing to me. Uh, and not just amusing, but also engaging to speak with because he seeks to understand these things in a way that even I don't. You know, I sit here and, and spend most of my time with my dusty old books, which I'm sure you're aware of, but he's out there on the YouTube scouring it, sending me information on how to play my knights better and different meta-oriented things. So he's he's a really good person to talk to about these things, I've found. Um, but when we're dealing with the changing meta, it is important to realize that it changes nowhere faster than in wargaming. Again, 10 years ago compared to now, Belagarth is a completely different sport. Same thing with 40k. I don't know how many different editions it's gone through in that time, but playing 40k 10 years ago would be very different than playing it now. A person who played it then would absolutely have to uh, sit down and do some studying before they could be effective in this current meta. Let's talk about this combat now, though. This combat in general. It's a simple idea, right? The point of combat. It is the destruction of one's enemy. The simple idea. But as we've found, simple things are not always easy. And this simple concept of destroy my enemy before they destroy, destroy me has a lot of nuances in, through it. For instance, one of the things we wish we could do and one of the things that movies have set us up for failure on is the idea that victory can come in one large monumental effort. All it takes is the singular application of one's will and of force to achieve the outcome that we desire. But that's not the way of it. That's not the way of war. That's not the way of war gaming. It is never, well, rarely, rarely. There have been a few times in history where it has worked out, but the vast majority of the times in history, the only way to achieve victory is through small victories, smaller acts that like kind of get bound up into a whole. Remember that strategy is using whatever happens tactically to our advantage. Therefore, victory is done through all these smaller things, all these smaller tactical engagements lead towards 
our victi, strategically speaking. And all of this is aimed at overwhelming the enemy. But what is overwhelming the enemy? What does that mean to us? Well, on the surface, it means to eliminate their ability to continue the contest. You know, they cannot fight us anymore. Tabling your opponent. They can no longer continue the contest. Even if they had, there's some time left in the game, they don't get to play anymore. They have been tabled. Eliminating the contest in Bell is a very similar thing. You can take away a leg, take away an arm. That also, a lot of times, will eliminate the contest itself. The whole body doesn't need to be destroyed if the limbs do not work. But even this, even this is only a means to the true object, which of course is victory. We're not taking to the field to destroy our opponent's army for no reason other than that. It is to achieve something. It is to, again, get the points necessary to win at the game of 40k. It is to be able to dwindle their numbers to such a point that we are able to win just through sheer weight of fire for in something like Belagarth. So these are the things that we mean when we say overcoming the enemy. And when we're looking to overcome the enemy, because it is such a, a high-stress situation, again, remember that we, we do not have to deal with it nearly so much. If we die, we get right back up. If our little, uh, little figurines are said to have died, they go right back into our box to be used next time. Real people do not repair so easily. Real armies are not replenished so easily. So we must plan ahead, right? Like even, especially in real life, but what we're doing here, it is good to plan ahead. It is good to have some sort of SOP, I would guess, in place uh, so that we can understand, we can react in the moment a little bit quicker instead of sitting there and trying to think of something completely new, which can be stressful and is not always successful. We have, a, again, a bag of tools. A bag of tools that we can put into our plans and say, okay, we, we're, we're pretty confident on this particular aspect. I'm pretty confident in my high cross. So if I can plan to put myself in a position where I can throw a high cross at my opponent, then that works out for me. But that is also loose. See how my plan there wasn't completely detailed. It wasn't completely structured. I had a general idea of what I want to do, throw that high cross. Because even if it's a great plan... We need to room, leave room for adjustment. There needs to be room for failure. Because we will fail. Something about that plan will fail. At some point, I'm going to take a step that means that I should probably hold off on throwing that high cross lest I be destroyed in the process. That goes against what the plan was, right? Plan was throw high cross. But in this particular moment, I'm reading the situation saying, you know... I need to hold off like throwing that high cross. I might land it, but this might not be the situation to do so. I have to be flexible. Even though I know my strength, even though I know how to apply it, I still need to be flexible in the application so that I don't step in my own way. Because the enemy is not a passive thing. The enemy does not sit there and say, oh, they're going to throw a high cross. I'm just going to stand here. That's not what happens. The enemy is just like us. The enemy is thinking. The enemy is looking for victory. If the enemy has come to the field against us or has come to the table against us, we have to assume that that enemy has at least a small amount of competence, and that makes them dangerous. So they are not passive. They are looking to upset our plans. If we do, if we have plans and we're revealing what they are, they're definitely looking to upset those plans and to gain the initiative themselves, to be able to put us 
on the back foot. If my opponent knows that I throw a high cross, if they know that that is the one shot that I throw, then I could have practiced that shot 10 billion times. But if they know what it is and they know how to block it, I now have a bad plan. That plan needs to change. Even if my high cross is my best shot, I need to set it up a little bit differently. I need to pull some fakes. I need to do a flurry and, and go to some different quadrants and shake up their defense in that particular area. If I'm on the field or on, on the tabletop, if I've got a particular you know, set of stratagems I run through, but then my opponent does something unexpected, do I use the same stratagems? Do I put myself into the same tactical positions if my enemy is different? No. No, this is, this is folly. And we also have to remember to think on our feet when we're looking at these things. Okay, my high cross isn't going to work here. How do I get to it? Or how do I throw a shot that's just as good to, to be able to get somewhere in that fight? Same thing on the tabletop. I may not have seen this particular situation before, but I have a pretty good idea how to approach it. Is it, good, is it a good idea for us to sit there and deliberate for a long period of time, to sit there and hem and haw over the board or over the field? trying to come up with the perfect plan. We have discussed here before, there is no perfect plan. And a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan next week. We are timed. <laughs> you know, Warhammer games cannot go on forever. A Belagarth match cannot go on forever. There is a time limit, of course. We're trying to get through it as quickly as possible, either so that we can achieve that victory and go home and have some supper, or so we can move on to the next fight slash match. So a bold, courageous, and resolute enemy is not going to let us have time to make any sort of complicated plan as well. Again, the reason why this is the case is because our enemy is a thinking creature. Our enemy opposes us with the same determination and the same thoughtfulness that we come at them. It is folly to think that our opponent is a practice dummy or even a theoretical. Our opponent will do things that we don't expect, because that is the nature of humanity. We may have been in the same situation 10,000 times, and then one person comes along and throws a wrench in it, and everything's different. So we're making sure that we take that into account. We have to make sure that we take into account that we have a thinking, potentially bold, courageous, and resolute enemy that is not going to let us have time for wide-reaching, skillful combinations. Maybe the coolest setup ever, but if it's not, if it's something that requires our op opponent to be passive, then that plan, that setup, is not effective and should not be used on the actual field. Again, we, we must take into account the nature of our enemy. Imagine yourself across the table there, working, using whatever weapon combination or army is most effective in the moment, using the best tactics in the moment, mirror your intelligence but then also realize that the intelligence you're going against is nothing like yours. I think completely different than Toto does. I think completely different than TF does, or Kaji, or Juniper, or any of the other people I've had on the show. It's part of the nice thing about having other people on the show, is to hear what they say, is to hear the differences in the way that we think. And it goes to show that every person is going to approach these situations differently, even if we're educated the same way, even if Toto and I sat down and we read the exact same books, and we drilled in very similar ways, we would still have different ways of thinking and different ways of approaching the field. It is just natural. We are, 
We are individual creatures. As much as we are social and communal, we are also individual. And we must remember that. We must remember that not every enemy is the same. If I played Toto like I do TF, I would not do well. If I played TF like I do Toto, I wouldn't do well. And same with everybody else. You have to play them as though you played them. Right? And that's just not to say we don't have a few things that we are confident in. You know, there, there's not a few things that we're like, okay, I've, I've practiced this. I can generally do this and have it work out well. Screening, for instance. Tried and true activity in real war. Tried and true activity in war gaming. Making sure that there is a buffer between your important stuff and their stuff. Whatever it may be. Uh, I know that there, it won't be the game that we're discussing uh, this episode, but Toto and I had another game recently where he screened excellently, where he provided a speed bump, if it were, that I had to cross to get at the rest of his army. And that's good, especially when you're going against somebody like Knights, where holding up even one unit someplace else can make a difference. When, when your units are like 150 minimum, every single one of them is precious. Every single one of them is necessary for each combat. And so being able to even hold off a few of them, that's huge. That's huge and contributes to victory in a, a very clear manner. So this victory we want. Why? What are we looking for? What, what does victory look like to us? Is it simply the destruction of our opponent's army? That is a means to an end. Victory is gains, right? Victory comes with gains, whether those gains are the cannons, the captured cannons or POWs of our enemy, whether those gains are resources like gas or oil, whether those gains are political, taking over a country, annexing another area. These are all real gains in the real world. In wargaming, our gains are very, very simple as well. We get the objectives. And then we get the victory. We get the whatever the terms are for the victory in, in the field battle that we're playing. And we get the victory. Because these gains can be uh, in a number of different ways. But most of the time when we're speaking about these gains, it's going to be gains in territory or in numeric superiority to our opponent. And those gains can be accomplished off the field too, right? And in this particular case, numeric superiority could also be just skilled not necessarily being able to bring on an entirely new guard army to accompany the one that's already there. But we will get more skilled with the forces that we get. It's not like marbles, obviously. If I beat Toto, I don't get his Grey Knights, but woo, wouldn't that be fun? I also wouldn't have any armies, so <laughs> there's that too. But with these gains, when we're thinking about gains, what we're trying to get with our victories, we also must consider losses. And losses can come at us in a, in a myriad of different directions. Losses can be in morale, as we've discussed before. That can be one of the most devastating things to lose. Troops, the actual people on the field, whether it's our teammates or whether it's our plastic miniatures, our troops themselves can be lost. Equipment, as we were talking about before, one of the primo things to do at the time that Clausewitz was writing was to capture cannons. Why make new cannons when your opponent has perfectly good ones right there? So go capture cannons, then use cannons for our side. Uh, it's a little bit more vague and nuanced for what we do. But, you know, suffice to say, like, let's say that I'm, uh, I'm wanting to go and de deprive my enemy of their pole arms. 
So as an archer, I'm shooting their pole arms down. Well, the enemy has just lost not just troops, but that equipment as well. That ability to reach long range. And so by altering that, by altering those losses, I've also altered the conditions of victory. So equipment. Equipment can be very important, especially when we think about it in terms of who's got the artillery, who's got the long-range capability, who's got the armored capability. How do we deprive them of that advantage, that material advantage? So losses of equipment. We have a loss of courage, which can be different than a loss of morale. A loss of morale is the ability for the army to be cohesive, for the army to maintain its military bearing, as it were. Confidence and courage are different. Those are the things that say, let's get out there, you know, the, the, the pep, the gusto. And those can be lost. They can be worn down over time. Even the most sure of themselves, even the most, even the most confident of fighters or players can, be, can have the wind taken out of them by either a series of losses or by a devastating tactical loss of some sort. These things can be a loss for an individual. You know, I'm sure we've all experienced it, whether it be in physical or intellectual wargaming, a long string of defeats. Maybe to different people, maybe to the same person. And these losses take a lot out of our ability to conduct combat in general. And then, of course, you have cohesion, the ability for an army to bind itself together, to have one unifying purpose, one idea that drives forward as this chaos begins to occur. And, and as, of course, we're losing morale and troops and equipment, it can be hard to keep track of who is where and what we are capable of. I may be perfectly ignorant of the fact that my spear section just got taken off of the, uh, the field, and I'm left now with, with no long-range capability. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I don't have that anymore, but if I'm still acting as though I do, it loses cohesion. If you have some people that want to go back and some people that want to go forward, you lose cohesion. If you have models more than two inches apart, well, that's a cohesion rule, but it's, it's still the same idea. We're trying to make sure that everything is not only kept together physically, but also spiritually or energetically, moving in the same direction, cohesively. So some of these losses that we've talked about can be more detrimental than actually losing the battle itself. To have an army be completely demoralized, to have it lose its confidence, to have it lose its courage. These can be more devastating than the loss of people, than the loss of equipment, because the fighting spirit might be lost. And that is an important part to actually succeeding in the, the combat in general. Uh, the other things could be loss of ground. Loss of ground is huge. And then also uh, the want of fresh reserves. Both of these things not only cause a loss, but they also can cause the, the uh, just retreat in general, having to completely fall back from the battle, regroup somewhere else. These two things are huge in that, loss of ground and want of fresh reserves. And if we look at actual warfare, this makes sense. It's demoralizing to be losing ground, to be pushed out of good positions and suddenly find oneself perhaps in the open or otherwise vulnerable. Well, retreat is necessary at that point. And if we are, for want of fresh reserves, if our forces are getting tired, if they no longer want to fight, if they have been out here being bombarded with artillery and being shot at by snipers and having mortars and not sleeping well and being on pins and needles, to not have new troops coming in to relieve the ones that are getting worn down emotionally, mentally, 
then that army is going to suffer. And that army just might retreat. Think about all the battles that we've been studying recently where a retreat has happened. And it's not like the, the uh, general calls it in most cases. The general is not like, okay, let's, let's retreat. A lot of times the army kind of calls it first. And then the general calls it to be like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to make sure that everybody's retreating at the same time. I don't want to leave like half my army on the battlefield. But the retreat is, is a lot of times not decided by the upper echelon. It's decided by the people who've had enough and who are now moving back away from the front. So having good positions, having good forward ground, and having troops that are fresh and ready for the fight, whose courage has not yet dimmed, this is important. And this is important to prevent further losses. But what about the other side? We've talked about the effects of defeat after defeat after defeat and how that can demoralize an army and take away the confidence, even if it may have the same number of troops and the same amount of uh, equipment. Those two things can be absolutely devastating. But what is the effect of a moral, or what is the moral effect of a victory? Well, it's, it increases by a progressive ratio. Right? So we're talking about something that's kind of exponential. Your first victory feels good. Second victory feels better. And then from there, you get this nice little curve, this little, this little curve that stretches upwards that feels better and better and better. A great fire need not come from one big victory, but also from a lot of little small ones. This great fire that we feel, this, this furnace within us that comes with these victories, it can be amazing. The ratio of sides also intensifies if the victory is at a disadvantage. You know, if we're if we're sitting there, like the if the Greeks had won at Thermopylae, and even when they were, like the, the days that they did win, the days that they did push back the Persians, who had such numeric superiority, well, the morale was huge. It's like, yes, look what we can do. We fought off a larger force and won. I know that was a huge part of the high morale at the beginning of the Civil War, first, particularly in the Army of the Northern Virginia. Lee was doing very well. The victories that they were winning buoyed the, the spirit of the army. It didn't matter that they didn't have shoes that were fitting properly or they didn't have holes in them. It didn't matter that they ate hardtack for a good portion of their meals. It didn't matter that their friends were dying from cholera. What mattered was these victories. What mattered was this, not just these victories, but being able to do it against a side that was better equipped and had more people to it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, certainly, uh, that certainly boosts us up. And this victory only really gains substance, Clausewitz says, if, it is, if you have a captured guns and or prisoners. Prisoners, of course, being bargaining chips, and guns, of course, being things like artillery, from what he's talking about. And that even, uh, even five guns different than what your opponent has can make the difference in this era when artillery, the artillery duels that took place were so important for the way that the rest of the battle would shake out. Another way that we need to, to act in order to preserve our gains and minimize our losses is, and many people forget this, is to protect our line of retreat and disrupt our enemy's line of retreat. We saw that when we, when we look back to one of our more recent battles and our commander was coming over and looking at their opponent. They had a much larger force. And if they had just moved around and threatened that line of retreat, their opponent would have had to withdraw from the area, leaving behind defensive positions and having to move completely away. This would have been a bloodless victory or relatively bloodless victory to go after this line of retreat. 
if people go at ours, we need to pay attention to that because if we get cut off, for instance, in another game that I played against Toto, it was this uh, Tide of Ascension or Tide, I, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but the idea was to, that you couldn't get your command points if you didn't hold the objective that was in your deployment zone. There were a bunch out in the no man's land, but then there was one in our deployment zone. And if we didn't hold that, we didn't get uh, command points. So one of the first things I did was put pressure on that, was to make sure that he either didn't have people there or were having to pull people from other places in order to maintain that objective. And so knowing where his line of retreat was and knowing that he really couldn't oppose me in the way that I was coming in really threatened his ability to conduct the war and kept mine safe. My line of retreat was fine for that entire match. And a good reason for that is because I took the initiative and kept him on the back foot by threatening his the whole time. So when we boil it down to bare bones, what are the three elements of victory? What does that look like? We have the first, the loss of physical power. Can our opponent physically bring their army? Can our opponent physically bring the fight to us? Or have we taken away their physical power? Whether that be in material, like equipment, weapons, or in actual people themselves, the loss of the physical way to, to conduct war, huge element of victory. The loss of morale, the loss of the moral power, taking the wind out of the sails, as it were. I can't tell you how many times I've constant, or um, had a wind kind of congeal before the fight was even over, before I'd even the match had even been decided because of the loss of morale power. I've seen an enemy make mistakes, costly mistakes, because the wind has come out of their sails. So that's definitely one of the elements of victory, taking away that fighting spirit, taking away somebody's ability to think on their feet and not feel, I don't know, bitter or begrudging over what has already taken place. And then the last one, of course, is over the relinquishment of intent. Does our opponent still have the desire to do what they came to do? If we're sitting there at a 40k table or some other form of intellectual or gaming, do they have the ability and the desire to continue the game. Well, if we've taken all their checkers, then no. They, they have to relinquish that, in, that intent. Somebody is dead on the battlefield if we have killed them in physical war gaming, quote-unquote killed them. They can no longer <laughs> have their intent. In terms of a larger, more historic, like let's, let's take a look at, at the Ukraine, perhaps. Um... You know, Zelensky's plan, the, the leader of the Ukraine, his plan isn't to destroy the Russian army. It's not to invade Moscow. The relinquishment of intent that he speaks of is the relinquishment of the invasion. The intent to take over either eastern Ukraine or a, good, a larger portion of the Ukraine. That intent is what Zelensky is trying to break. Not, not the entire army itself. Victory there would just be for the Russian army to leave. I've seen this several times in history, where you don't have to have a, a wholesale destruction of an army to break its back, metaphorically speaking, and send it packing. So in this particular way, if we think about it, a retreat, at least in the classical sense, is not always a true victory for the person who's making the retreat. Many times, a retreat has uh, resulted in somebody being able to regroup 
and come at it fresh again because a retreat is not a loss of physical power. The army is still there. The army is still very much intact. It is not a loss of moral power, especially if that retreat was done in an order, orderly fashion and not for reasons uh, that, that are you know panicked or something along those lines, but it's more of like a, a tactical repositioning that will, we would consider like a retreat retreat. It can always come back and bite us. And then that intent, that intent may not have been destroyed. It may just be one of those things where we realize that our high cross isn't going to work. We take a few steps back, reanalyze the situation, and come at it with fresh eyes. This can be what a retreat is. It does not have to be a defeat. We must keep that in mind. Too many times I've seen people get sucked into a fight and perhaps taking a step back from the fight and re reassessing readjusting where they were coming in would have been of a huge benefit, but because their blood was up, because they were overcommitted, the retreat didn't happen. And so they did have the complete loss of physical power or of the ability to con continue on with that war. And I've all I've very much had times in 40k where I've done this too, where I've pulled forces back and repositioned them to other sides of the board. It may have seemed, it may have felt at that time that I was giving up ground, that I was retreating, and I was. To use what I had, to use the forces that I had, to use the equipment that was available to me in a way that was more effective. In a way that was going to accomplish my aims in a, in a much more direct fashion. In a good plan, not a perfect plan, sort of fashion. So these are the ideas that we're coming into this new section with. This idea of co the combat in general. What is victory? What are we hoping to attain with these various tactical and strategic situations? And finally, of course, how do we get there? How do we get this victory that we desire so greatly? Here to help us with that question a little bit and to talk uh, about, you know, the meta and the, the nature of the, of how that changes, the simple idea, hard executions, and then fighting against a resourceful and skilled enemy, not, not a punching bag, but a resourceful and skilled enemy. We get to talk to one of my, my best friends and an old-time favorite of the show, Toto. Here to chat with us about combat in general and all the things that that involves is, uh, once again, my good buddy and longtime friend of the show, Toto. Sir, uh, welcome again once on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure being here and having these... Uh cerebral conversations with you i always dig it too and uh we i really like that format that we did with soren a few weeks ago uh the idea of having a, a show or a, a part of the interview be before a game and part of the interview be after a game and so uh toto agreed and so we're going to be kind of doing the same thing with this um but the topics that we're going to be kind of focusing on for this are something that's right in toto's wheelhouse right so very first on in this chapter, Clausewitz talks about the nature of modern battle. And as we said in the previous section, most of that stuff doesn't make sense to us. Like, we, we're not fighting a battle that comes from the time of the, you know, late 17th century or the early... No, <laughs> that's wrong. The late 18th century, early 19th century. It's hard to... I always get those mixed up. I've been a historian for years, Toto. 
And I still get that mixed up from time to time. They should have just named them right the first time. That's true. I mean, I get why, like, zero to Right, you need to have a first, first century. It, it does make sense going all the way back, but come on, man. Yeah, no, I get it. But, you know, that, that nature of modern battle is no longer what we use. What we use, uh, the name of it, I would think, now is meta. Right. Right. And so when I'm trying to figure things out or when I'm trying to do anything, Toto is my tap into the meta. So let's talk about meta and the way it changes and how we adjust to those changes. Because you're, you're involved in several really com- competitive communities. I am. I, uh, I, I've always enjoyed competition at a, at a very deep level. I've always had a big appreciation for people who are very talented at specific things and take that talent to new heights. It, it's, uh, people are fascinating, man. They're so cool. Yeah, they are. Um, and it, it can be hard to keep up sometimes. And I mean, you, you, but you remain preeminent. Like you've won fighting game tournaments. Just this weekend, in fact. See, case in point. You've absolutely done exceptionally well with Totoville when we're dealing with Belagarth. How do you keep ahead of the matter? Because it's not enough just to be following it. If we're following it, then we're going to be kind of in this lukewarm place. You're able to keep ahead of it. Right. How? So I, I want to loop back to our confusion earlier uh, over the labeling of centuries, 17th, 16th, that sort of thing. It would probably be a lot easier for us to conceptualize if we talked about the first century more often. Like the fact that we don't have that first century uh, discussion ever in conversation makes us kind of harder to grok. And so we don't learn from the warfare of the first century. We're not even talking about that century in, in these terms because the meta has evolved so many times from this point that it's, it's completely irrelevant to the modern conversation. And what that means is things are being either vastly improved upon and reinvented or the fat has been trimmed away. Hmm. And... On these iterative trimmings and re-establishings of concepts, what is foundational emerges. And that is just being honed to a sharper and sharper point as the centuries move on. Range is better than melee. Once you get your bows and arrows out, tactics change. Once you get crossbows, once you get guns, you know? what combat is that shifts so vastly that was relevant even 200 years ago. A pretty big chunk of humanity's dom- you know, dominance on this planet is completely irrelevant. We don't care about it. We don't need to know it. Nobody uses the phalanx anymore. It's, it, not, it's not effective in modern warfare. Precisely. Like it's not, it, it, and it's, it's fun to study as esoterica, but it's not, it's not like you're trying to utilize this in a in a in in the manner of a general right you're just learning what was so popular and you'll recall that first year of gladiators i was obsessed with drill and trying to almost uh completely mimic roman style and the way that they fought yes very much so and if we were on a battlefield back in the way when with roman technology and roman training it would have been very different but the face of modern Belagarth, the face of the modern meta at the time, what did not favor what I was doing. Despite the fact that it had worked amazingly, you know, uh, millennia ago, in the current era, it was useless. 
Right. And you told me that at the time. I did not listen to you. And, uh, I mean, that's just kind of the theme of my early career. <laughs> Everyone uh, stops listening when they should sometimes. I've been guilty of it many times myself. Like, no, I'm obsessed with this, this chasing, this thing. But to find the meta, you have to have that humility, though. You have to have the humility to say, I don't know everything. I need to be looking. I need to be searching. Uh, even recently, you, you did that to me once again. You've checked me and made me better because I was so kind of wrapped up in the idea that I had conquered the meta, as it were, right. with my little fighting group. And you had assured me that I hadn't. And then I went against Soren, who was outside of what I knew, who was very, very current with the meta. And he destroyed me. Right. Just destroyed me. And I, I suddenly had this moment of like, I need to pay attention. The nature of modern battle is very different than right. the techniques that I'm relying on. Absolutely. And uh, regarding things like a phalanx, the reason why you don't see that sort of tactic in even a game such as 40k of, of some dominant spacing of your units on a battlefield is because in real life, battles are best of one. Mm-hmm. You're going to die. It was much, much harder to adapt. Uh, and most of the time in those days, if you were fighting someone, you were trying the thing that worked best for you in the past. And when you run into something that completely counters that, it's so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to come home and report and build on that. But once we have big information networks and everyone knows every single detail about I know everything about your units you know everything about mine there's no point in having a a single tactic because a single tactic will just be evolved upon immediately you sure. will learn from that first game right it doesn't mean that the phalanx was unbeatable it meant it was hard to beat day one right right Right, and uh, in one of the previous sections, uh, Klauswitz had ranted about his contemporaries and how at one point they had tried to basically copy one of Frederick's battle plans word for word, and they got destroyed. That's not because Frederick's plan wasn't good at Frederick's time. It was because everybody had read Frederick at that point. Everybody had studied Frederick. Right. And so when they tried to pull what was once a revolutionary move, this oblique kind of idea with the, um, the forces that were being used, the opponent was like, oh... It's Frederick-style oblique. Shift our lines. Destroy them. You know, the easy right. answer that came from that after study. And so, like you said, trying to stick to that one thing, like they were trying to stick to this one idea, this idea of the forced oblique that Frederick did, that local numeric superiority. And it failed them because the nature of modern battle had changed. Right. And because that technique, while effective, has a simple counter. And the more people learn the counter, the less effective the technique becomes until it until the meta shifts around again. Right. Right. Until you're trying to defend against something else you presume is coming, and then he you rotate you you, you bring that in, and that's kind of what establishes foundational knowledge, mm. and that's why you see some players who are great at first-person shooter games. It doesn't matter what game they're playing, Halo or Call of Duty or. Uh, you know, Counter Strike or something like Battle that. Battlefront, whatever. Yeah, they're going to they're going to excel if they decide to dedicate themselves to the rules of that game because they find it more fun than a different one. They can they can really take their pick, um, 
And the meta is just a fine-tuning of that rule set. It's like, oh, I can run on walls in this game. I can run through walls in this game. Mm -hmm. That changes what is good or bad. I like this gameplay more. You can even you can pick your battles in the most literal sense in, in today's meta and continue learning every single day. But like you said, we have the, the luxury of being able to lose, like horrifically lose, and not actually lose. Exactly. Because in the time that, you know, Frederick's writing, in real war, if your force gets decimated, you don't get to go on and fight more and more battles with the exact same people trying the exact, like, honing those tactics. It's it's fast. It's real. But there's also, again, like you said, there, there's, it limits the ability of your opponent to respond when, when it's just that one-off. You know, if it's that one Roman uh, legion coming in and crushing a village and the people there don't necessarily have the chance to be like, okay, well, everybody raised from the dead. We're going to check our mistakes and do this again, right? Right. And so what we would define as fighting, fighting a skilled and resourceful enemy is different because at that time it was, it was what can we rehearse? What can we, like, what works? And still try to look out for a, a change, but it, di it didn't change as fast. Right. You know, more recently it does because we have such high technology, but back in the way when, you know, it was what it was. And... It also doesn't take into account, again, what it means now to fight a resourceful and skilled opponent. Because now a resourceful and skilled opponent has so much at their disposal. We have YouTube, we have blogs, we have Reddit, we have all these different things that give us knowledge from all around the world. What these guys had back in the way when was a few books. Most of them highly inaccurate. Right. <laughs> the way that this stuff and, was done. And this has evolved even so recently when i started i started playing fighting games in 2009 2010 and there weren't that many youtube videos there were like a couple forums at that point um and so i if, if you took i i could do the first like six years of my competitive street fighter career in six months these days with the amount of information at my disposal sure. just like you're saying right right it's it's uh if if you if you talk about it too much you get it advertised to you now like it is it's 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 all just right there for you to absorb sure sure and that's awesome and and, it, and again it makes the meta change so fast uh way faster again than it would have way like even now again the meta changes quicker than it did in the first century <laughs> but but it doesn't change as quickly as it does for us in, in the wargaming community. I mean, just think back several years in uh, Belagarth to when uh, those door shields ruled the field. Mm -hmm. where it was just this mass of, of these large... Like, and, and when we say door shields, dear listener, we mean door shields. It's, it, it's like a door, a big rectangle that you slap on the front of your body, and it provides great defense and hinders every single attack you throw. <laughs> like there, there's obviously a, a, a bonus to it, but this combination of door shield and flail dominated the meta for the longest time. It doesn't anymore. Why is that? Well, technology changed. We got a bunch exactly. of amp garters in that decided to move fast and, <laughs> and speed up the rest of us, you know? They did though, like they came in and we were like, whoa, we need to up the ante because these, right. these kids are fast. Right. But no, I, I, and I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome. Um, so real quick, let's talk about our game today, what we're about to get into, and kind of the gains and aims of what we're looking for, right? Because as my knights are coming in, the awesome thing about the recent change in meta is that I can run all of my secondaries from the knight codex, which means that I can pretty reliably set up my list to 
get those, to have those gains and to, and to be something that I can re reliably go after. How are you with your list kind of helping to guarantee what you're going for? That is a good question. Um, I think mostly that I am not playing around your secondaries right now. Um, as, as the viewers have heard, uh, I may have gotten a, 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 wee, a wee smidge decimated in our last match. Um, I'm not sure if I actually talked about the score. Nice. Right, yeah. and I, uh, you said it was your highest scoring game. It was a very polite way of putting how badly my <laughs> booty was kicked that, that, that sorry day. Um, but I'm hoping to not repeat that. Uh, and I think I had a good base for a strategy, but... I think I had some tactics wrong. So mm. I'm going to be sticking with what I did last time, just like you will sure. this time, I'm sure. And I think that it's... With small tweaks. Again, I can use mostly night stuff, so I don't have to try to break it up between the rest of the book. You know, I've, I've built it around this. And of course, going against you, one of the auto-takes is going to be a poor the witch, because right. everything you have is a psyker. Exactly. And just like an auto-take to you is bring it down. And the point of it, again, is, is not so much... You know, when we look at these games, we want the objectives. We're going for whatever secondaries we need for the points. But ultimately, to achieve those things, we need to destroy our opponent. And so that's not just the means and the end. It's, it's kind of both intermittently all over the place with everything else we're going for. What are you looking at? Because again, for my guarantee, I've got several ob ob like objective grabbing ones, right. or um, you know the the raise or the go to the center and renew the oaths and that sort of thing. These are things that I can pretty much do reliably. Right. Not giving away too much of your <laughs> plan ahead of time, of course. Um, do you have uh, ways that you've built around your secondaries too? Oh, ab absolutely. Um, I think that. Uh... The, the way I have my secondaries, it's just grab objectives and kill the big mechs. Uh, that's how they're kind of going to be aligned this game. I don't think there's going to be any way that I deviate from that, even if I spent the command points to do so. Uh, so they're, they're pretty locked in. I think you and I know what we're about to, about to do here. So it, it takes the interesting decision-making and places it on the battlefield in setup, how you and I each defend from an opponent's possible turn one. Sure. As well as a firmer grasp on the rule set for for both of us. Cheat sheets. Yeah, we've got a cheat sheet, and I have uh, I've played more recently today than I had last time we were together. I sure. think that will be. This is a game of minutia, and it's easy to overlook things. It is. And that's why, once again, listeners, I recommend a cheat sheet where you go through and you outline what your different abilities are by phase and different uh, objectives that you might want to use by phase so you can look at it and have that at your fingertips. I know that the pros have it in their heads. Mm -hmm. Those Impressively are so. Right. I watch battle reports sometimes and I'm just like, my goodness. We all want to get there. We all, right? <laughs> but uh, for those of us who are not, and humbly speaking, I am not one of those people yet, the cheat sheet is awesome. Well, I think it's about time for us to get into this game, Toto. And uh, this, we have the simple idea, right? Simple idea of destroy our opponent, score points, win the game. But let's see how we can follow through with our execution. Good luck. Have fun, brother. You as well. So we've just completed our game. And I think it is uh, not a stretch to say that it was a bit one-sided. 
It was. Uh, once once again, I think it was a, a resounding success for your list and your army. Very well played, sir. Well, thank you. And I mean, not that I, I know we hate to say the dice won the game or lost the game, but you had some pretty bad rolls in there too, like at clinch moments. But, I mean, yeah, there there were a few. It's been it's been a bit of a a, a tale of the tape in these past two, but it hasn't. It has, certainly hasn't been uh, the whole battle. Sure. And I think part of that is that. Uh, uh, the way we put it earlier, my army is pu- feels like it's punching up a little bit, just in terms of raw stats, not in terms of, of, a, of a full balance, but just generally if I am rolling the dice, the odds are against me, and generally if you are rolling the dice, the odds are for you. Sure. And I need to take that into account and play around that uh, more instead of just beat my head into it like Grey Knights usually can against most armies. <laughs> well, that's true, and, and there's also you know, utilizing your strengths. You know, I, I think, um, as we had discussed before, this particular... Uh, we were doing, what was it, Abandoned Sanctuary? Was that the game tech it was, that we were yeah, doing? Yeah, and, and that is an interesting thing that we should touch on, is that this was an exact replica of our last match. We had the exact same terrain setup and the exact same mission pack. So I got a, I got a take two. I got to have little takesy-backsies and try this one again. We both scored higher. We did both score higher. You now have your second <laughs> highest scoring game. Congratulations, sir. Actually, that's my first highest scoring yeah, game. Yeah, sorry, your second instance of having your new highest scoring game with me. Yes, yes. So thank you. <laughs> but uh, you bastard. Well, like you said, it, it also gave us a good, a good kind of way to look at it as well. Because even though we were doing the same scenario and kind of the same setup, you went first. I did. Yeah, there was that that uh, reversal of role and. Uh, I think that one of the things that lost me the game it was it was again well I, last time I think I deployed very poorly in terms of uh, the potential of getting turned to, and I got punished for that. So this time I, I deployed much more conservatively, uh, and wound up getting turn one. So it hindered me a bit there. You can, there there was no. Uh, it's not like it was a game losing setup or anything like right, that. Right. Um, but then I I. I responded to what you did last game and i tried to defend against the the previous winning strategy of yours and so you went huh i won't fall into that trap and then you didn't take my bait you didn't uh, do what won you the last game you did what would win you this game and i think that was very quick very uh, agile adaptation so well done well one has to i mean uh, as we've discussed before like frederick the great was brilliant right. and, and what he did during the seven years war uh, was legendary but if you looked 40, 50 years later, everybody had read Frederick the Great. People were up with his plans. And so right. when, again, when Clausewitz's contemporaries tried to mimic what he had done, everybody said no, and they slapped it down because, you know, they knew what was happening. And I figured if I tried to do the same thing twice, that I might have that same sort of situation because, like you said, you knew what to kind of do in and that it, situation. And I, I put a lot of eggs in that basket that you would be sending. You have a, a, a particular model that is uh, very melee focused and gets across the board in a, in a turn. And uh, I was thinking you would send that out first again. And you did not. You you patiently waited. And patience is very difficult in competitive and uh, any sort of gaming situation. It's hard to make the correct call and be be comfortable resting and letting your opponent make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a it's a hard learned skill. So and that was a very good demonstration of that. Well, and, and for anybody who's wondering in terms of the exact stats, I've got an errant who is uh, stacked with a land strider, a warlord trait, and then the heart of ion 
relic. And uh, the Heart of Ion, you burn a, a, a wound and you get an adi- a plus one to your advance and charge and a plus one to wound with one of the melee weapons of your choice. Um, the Land Strider, of course, gives me two more movement and uh, any sort of advance or charge, the lowest I can roll on any given dice is three. Twos and ones count as three. And I stack this with my Princeps also being an errant. Princeps within the uh, Kester Mechanicus are able to put their Bondsman ability onto a Kester class instead of an Armager class, and that enables me to advance and charge. I'm also House Raven, so that enables me to advance, shoot, and charge. And with all of those points going into it, I absolutely can get that, uh, that Knight Errant into somebody's grill. Turn one. Turn one. Very easily. Very successfully. With uh, little variance. And this is a game about eliminating variance. But I didn't this time. Because like I said, I looked over there and it looked it looked like Jaws. You know, it looked like there, there were just like this, this lion's mouth that was open for me. And I thought, hmm, best not. <laughs> yep. I think that was a wise decision, sir. I think you played that well. And, uh, and so because I, I, what I wanted to do was have a two-pronged attack towards, towards Malark once he... Uh, once he came into my loving arms, uh, and when he didn't, I split up my forces. I had I had uh, a, a clump of my army on the left side of the map and a clump on the right. This particular game, it was uh, uh, we were deployed horizontally parallel. Oh God, I'm bonking the table. Horizontally parallel uh, to the long side of the board, so it was very short gap between both of us. Um, and there was some, some, some clear avenues. And so I kind of went, it's a very shallow deployment zone too. Like I think that's worth mentioning. Yeah. Very shallow. Not a lot of ways to find interesting avenues or cover. It was mostly the, the, the paths forward were pretty well decided. I would say, um, feel free to disagree. Of course. No, no, no. I think you're exactly right there. Um, and so in my mind, I was like, oh, I have so many units on the board. I was also a little horde drunk. I don't know how you nid players or orc players do this, because I looked down at my knights, and I I only uh, I, I only kept one unit in my reinforcements to use. I was hoping to kind of use it as a, you know, a, a subtle knife, if you'll allow me, <laughs> um, to, to deploy where he was needed. Um, but it turned out what he needed to be was just on the board turn one. So I think in our next game, I'm going to keep him on the ground. And, I'm a huge uh, fan of that too. Like yeah. even, even when I was using my Deathwing and the Terminators, I mean, it is nice to just be like, boom, and drop some Terminators somewhere on the board. But especially if you're going for that that Dark Angel special, uh, the Stubborn Defiance, where right. you're, you're trying to keep an objective, you want as many bodies on it as possible. You just do. You yeah. just do, absolutely. And uh, circling back to the concepts of simple idea and hard execution, when I split myself up, I did have local numeric superiority. There is certainly no doubt about that. I had... Uh, on the right side of the board, about 15 to 20 units versus two armatures, and they just got cut down, unfortunately. Uh, so it is true, yes, that I had local numeric superiority by a factor of 10 times mm-hmm. at that area, but it was not enough. And so this is where you get into kind of that concept of, yes, I had more guys, but how many guys is enough? When do I actually fall into that the... The, the bucket that is labeled local numeric superiority. Because well, I mean, just having know, five right. five marines versus one of your Titanic, you know, Questorus class boys or errant class boys, yes, I have more guys, but that's not, you know, that's not the whole picture. There's there's a large power imbalance between the two units. Well, yeah, and of course, we're, when we're talking about Klauswitz, his uh, scope in terms of what we do is limited because he wasn't accounting for giant death robots. 
Right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm saying he's right. I'm saying this is this is an entirely uh, this is a great example of simple idea, hard execution. Mm-hmm. And that there are there are concepts like uh, like local numeric superiority that are that are that are more nuanced than they seem. I'm not saying that I had it; it didn't work. It it never works. I am saying that I did not actually, I did not have the power to facilitate the concept of local numeric superiority because I got mowed down by your units and I had no recourse. Hmm. If I had double the amount of guys over there, which I had the units to field, then maybe it could have been a different story. Um, so you, you really have to find, even, even in the, an adage, even in a cliche, there are, there is nuance and there is room to learn, um, from, from any mistake you make first off and, and from something you think you may have a a grasp on. Hmm. There, there's always another side of the coin that you can kind of... Well, there's two sides to a coin. But right. assuming this was an infinite coin, <laughs> it would indeed always have another side. That's true. Very quantum of you. Yes, yes. Well, and, and what you, the, the gambit that you made, trying mm-hmm. to kind of pincer me in there. Again, if I'd have, if I'd have run up the center, it would have been brilliant. Uh, because I didn't, it did leave you rather open. It and did. as what happened several times, you're able to kind of get some smites off or whatever, and they bit, but they were at different points in my line. And because I was Kester Mechanicus, I'm healing back a wound on each model every right. single turn. So if right. I've got five wounded guys, that means that I'm getting five wounds back. Exactly. Yeah, that was a, a, a tremendous misplay on my behalf, I believe, was was spreading that damage out and not just using, again, local numeric superiority to bludgeon one to two guys. Mm-hmm. I was I was concerned about the loss of my own troops, focusing that that hard onto just a couple of your of your boys because you have so much map presence, especially in this very shallow game mode. Right. Um, we don't really have there isn't so much length of board as there is the the width, which is much much smaller mm-hmm. and easy for your armagers and your large models to traverse. A little harder for my termies and my strikes and that sort of thing. But my interceptors and NDKs get the job done. Sure. So it's it's yeah it's 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 a, there are a lot of a lot of angles to consider even with a a simple concept like simple idea hard execution right well and then like you say it's it's easy enough to conceptualize okay if if this goes well and if this goes well but particularly with your army with the reliance on the psychic phase if things go well in the psychic phase oh boy howdy yeah do you get set up nicely but... it's something else but it's it's so hard to. To position for a shooting phase where you don't know what the what the battlefield's going to look like, hmm. because there there's that step between your movement and your shooting where things can be a little different. And if you kind of scooch to shoot better, but then you psychic something off the board, you you misplayed your movement. Hmm. But if you don't scooch to shoot there and your psychic doesn't kill, then you've misplayed. So right. you just have to you're trying to again eliminate that variance, have a low variance game plan. So it's it's about it's about that consolidation mm-hmm. and 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 that focus of fire like we were saying instead of spreading out and it, this is again simple to talk about but sometimes hard to execute especially when the field is dynamic when both of us are moving so quickly and of course with your gray knights you have the ability to blip around the field absolutely uh with my guys being house raven i have a, a pretty good board presence if i need to get somewhere i can you're get zooming, there brother you zoom in and it's excellent yes, um indeed. but uh each of us are aiming for different things, though, right? Like each of us are are going to get different gains from this. the The straight, you know, bang up fight is one thing, but this is a game of secondaries. It is. And as as Klauswitz says, I mean, kind of our primary objective is to kill the enemy, but I didn't win by killing you. 
Right. I won by scoring my, my secondary points. Now, granted, if you've got the room to do that because you've been killing your enemy and you have that momentum, it's way easier. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that's that's something that I couldn't put together was how to defend an objective from you while still... Because it's well and good if I can have my entire force on a single objective or even two, but if I'm not spread up enough to take up three of the five in this particular battle, hmm. then I'm not doing my job correctly. Right. And... Have, using enough units to take out a model and not having those units be wiped from the board on your response mm -hmm. is uh, it's it's a quandary. It's a it's a problem I haven't solved yet. I'm I'm, I'm sure there is a solution. And I'm sure I'm sure there is too. And again, I, I think the idea of of the bomb, not necessarily bomb, but like bringing your guys together, less spread out, so that means less board control initially. Right. But having them together, being able to hit with those, uh, those psychic abilities in one given point, being able to say, this area is where I'm going to do all this damage. Absolutely. You know, that, like ep last episode, we were talking about assembly and time and space. And this kind of helps with that. Now, again, if, if I had walked into your trap, it would have gone very well, but that's a whole right. lot of if on that it plan. Is. It is. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a gambit. You have to, you have to commit I, in, in, in a match like this, where I need to take an early lead in order to not just get wiped. It, it requires that level of commitment. And I think that, I don't think that what I did was incorrect. Mm -mm. I think that it would have beaten something that was proven to be good. Mm -hmm. But you were a step ahead of me. You did not take the bait. And uh, you, you made a good play around my setup and I did not respond properly, I think is the, the, the biggest crux of the issue here. And again, there were some some... There were some goofball rolls on Absolutely both of our parts. dookie rolls. Oh my yeah, God. That, yeah, that... Uh, the, <laughs> It was a it was a tough game. I hung on a little better than than the than the first game, but uh, <laughs> things were looking pretty grim by the start of my turn three. But I, I said, you know what, we're we're gonna keep going. We're gonna soldier through, and I, I gave myself this tiny little glint of hope, mm -hmm. just, just it, 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 a little ember, a light. It went to light inside of me, and I said, oh, wait a minute, things are evening out here. And then there was the roll. And then there was the roll. Mm -hmm. And every Warhammer player has had the roll before, yep. where you dump CP, you say, okay, by all statistics, by all means, this should be on my side, and and then it's the roll. Yep. And it, it happens. It happens to everyone. All ones so. and twos. It was yep. nuts. Like I, 16 attacks. It was hard to look at, guys. It was hard for me, as the person who was benefiting from this poor roll, to look at. <laughs> it was uh, 16 attacks with exploding sixes. And uh, I think I wound up getting five attacks through, hitting yeah. on threes. It yeah. was very sad. It was, it was very sad. Nuts. But, I mean, I have no doubt that, you know, it, it, and this game was better than our last. It was. You scored far better, and you absolutely, especially those first two rounds, I was struggling to be like, okay, what do I need to do? Part of the reason I caught what you were doing with your trap is because I know that you are a skilled and resourceful opponent. I know that you are a person who learns and who is thinking the whole time. You're not just pushing your models across the board. Like there's something going on behind all that. And so in doing so, I, I got I to gotta bring my A game right. against you. Otherwise I right. suffer horribly. But because of this as well, I have no doubt that, that you're going to be coming back knowing the, the nature of this modern battle, right? You, Indeed. You keep witnessing kind of the, the, the meta between us. Right. And uh, I have no doubt that you're going to... I'm, 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 I'm fearing again. That's what I, this, this game and next game, I'm like, Oh, what's he going to bring? <laughs> How is he going to hurt me? And, uh, I, I can't remember if this discussion happened off, off the mic or, or on the mic, but, uh, discussing a, a reduction of the, of, of meta as, as 
foundational as a trimming of the fat, that sort of thing. Um, right now we are trimming the fat. We yep. are finding out what does and does not work, and we are going to be adjusting accordingly. I, I have a, a core unit that I've always run with this particular list that I think is going to be phased out hmm. in our future games because it just it is it is ineffective and it is foolish of me to not swap that out sure. moving forward. Obviously, I wouldn't have this luxury in a tournament, but for the sake of having games that are less one-sided, I think it is uh, it is prudent of me, and it would be foolish not to even so. Yeah, absolutely, and and you're, like you said, if you're looking at your list. And you're saying, okay, these guys are doing this amount, these guys are doing this amount, but if, like you said, I think it was your tech marine, mm -hmm. right, who was just not able, with the way that the gameplay was going, to actually be useful. He was not, unfortunately. I mean, he was able to come in and hit things on occasion, but, you know, that wasn't what his purpose was. Certainly not, and I paid a CP to give him a relic, uh, and he right. didn't get to use it at all. So, and on top of that, he had another uh, point dump that I was unable to use. Mm -hmm. So there were 95 points that really just kind of sat on the table the whole game, which is, you know, it's 120th of the army, but that's substantial enough to be another couple Marines or, sure. or anything like that that do something better. So, yeah. absolutely. Well, uh, like I said, I have no doubt that you're going to come back with a fury and a vengeance, and I look forward to it, sir. I appreciate it. I can hope, I hope that I live up to that standard. <laughs> You always have. I, I, hell, I, in Belagarth, you're just an absolute terror. Well, you're a kind man, and uh, I think the same of you. Good game, brother. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good game to you as well. And, uh, dear listeners, we will be talking with you next time. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't had enough of the art of wargaming in your life, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, where I occasionally post funny and educational memes. If you want to get in touch with the show directly, you can email us at artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. Also be sure to check out all of our sister shows on the Earworm Network, including General Nerdery, Word Balloons, Fried Squirms, and more. We're working hard on having something for everyone. And again, you can find those at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M. You can also find that in the show notes. But for now, this has been Yaga Malark, signing off. <laughs>